Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel. And today we are bringing you the quick and dirty history of Zendikar, just in time for the preview season of Zendikar Rising. So today we're going to talk history of Zendikar. Uh, this is Magic's third time uh, returning to Zendikar, and it is the third time Magic has returned to a plane three or more times. So uh, it's very exciting. Zendikar initially started out as like the adventure world, uh, and by all accounts, Zendikar Rising is trying to get back to that after a uh, interlude with the Eldrazi. It, it is back to that not trying to get back to that it is back to that that is like the first thing mark rosewater said in the announcement for the set last year was that hey eldrazi are dead we're back to adventure world and uh as someone who wrote creative text for the set we uh we got there it was very cool um but speaking of zendikar uh and getting back to things and future and adventuring uh We've got a little uh, free preview card adventure next week, Monday, September 7th. So stay tuned, everyone, for that. Very excited. It's uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. We get, a, we get some pre- pretty good preview cards historically, and then that trend is continuing. Um, the other kind of preview we think that happened recently is that there were a handful of previews for Commander Legends, which doesn't come out until later this year. But they had like a little special event at um, Channel Fireballs Online Command Fest or Command Fest Online, whatever it was. Um, there was a little little preview stream, and so we're not going to talk about those yet, even though we're very excited because Hal and Elena are there, and they're lesbians, and they're in love, and they're partners, and it's gay. Um, but we'll get to that later. I know folks have asked us a few junctions to. Uh, to elaborate on thoughts, we'll get there, people. We'll get there. We're focusing on Zendikar. <laughs> Let's make it through Zendikar, and then we'll talk about Commander Legends. Got to survive this adventure first. All right, so let's start at the beginning of Zendikar. So in the earliest known history of Zendikar, the earliest story we have that takes place on Zendikar... Uh, is from actually from Commander 2014. It's called The Lithomancer. Uh, and in it, Nahiri, uh, a Zendikari native core and Lithomancer, meaning she can manipulate stone, and her mentor, the vampire planeswalker Soren Markov. God, I hate Soren. Watch a plane get destroyed by the Eldrazi. And Ugin ends up popping in, saying, hey, hey, I saw, I saw you guys were on that uh, plane that just disappeared there. And I wanted to let you know that uh, I had a plan. I have a plan for that. I think we can contain them. But the deal is we have to keep it on a very specific kind of plane. A plane with a lot of strong mana. A plane that's not as populated as some places like <clears throat> Dominaria or Tarkir or Innistrad, I guess. And so when they looked around at each other, oh, and they needed uh, it to not have an existing Planeswalker protector that would uh, not want them to do this. And they looked around and they're like, well, Innist- Sorn goes, Innistrad doesn't meet that criteria. And Ugin goes, yes, uh, Tarkir doesn't meet that criteria either. And then they both just kind of looked at Nahiri and she went, well, I guess we could do it on, on Zendikar. 
<laughs> so Nahiri gets kind of pressured into uh, working with them. They spend 40 years building this Hedron network. I should be clear, Nahiri is very into it, but she is much younger than these other planeswalkers at the time and naive um, and doesn't quite get planeswalker shenanigans yet. Yeah, like, so at this point, she's, you know, this is 6,000 years ago. She is a pre-mending planeswalker. She is as a god, but in terms of her power and her understanding of her place in the multiverse, she is still has a mentor. She is uh, an apprentice. She doesn't quite, I don't think, understands what she is signing up for. So... Uh, after the end of those 40 years, they finish this Hedron network that spans the entire plane, and they lure in the three Eldrazi Titans and imprison them on the plane. And Ugin and Soren both kind of go, well, our work here is done. I guess, uh, I guess, uh, we'll head out now. You're gonna stay here, right? Forever? Right, Nahiri? Nahiri gets left behind. She stays and builds with the, um, she stays with the core culture and, uh, teaches them her lithomancy and all that good stuff. Um, at some point over the centuries, and we're starting to move on to two different other stories, Stirring from Slumber and Stone and Blood. At some point, uh, she starts to get tired of the mortal existence of her friends, you know, growing old and dying while she stays the same because she's an old walker at the time, which means she's is in, essentially immortal. There's this planeswalker named Obnixilis who, like, conquers entire worlds and extinguishes all life, which is pretty dangerous and probably is an OSHA violation. So uh, he, at some point, we don't really know when, but probably in the last 2000-ish years, seeks the chain bail which uh, is an artifact you might have heard with in Liliana's story. And uh, the chain bell rejects him and curses him and he turns into this horrible demon. And he's pretty bummed about that. So he thinks he can cure the curse with Zendikar's wild mana. But here's the problem. Uh, Zendikar already has a guardian named Nihiri, who is like, hey, world-conquering demon, maybe you should not be here. And Ava's like, I do what I want. And Nahiri is like, okay. And bloops a little hedron into him, which uh, ex- temporarily extinguishes his spark. She boops it right into his forehead. She goes, boop. And Ab is very cranky about this and spends all his centuries on Zendikar vowing and learning revenge and plotting and scheming and doing evil things. So the Obnixilis stuff we learn in Dreams of the Damned in uh, flashbacks from Obnixilis's point of view, uh, where we learn he really hates Nahiri. Then, as in the stories Stirring, Stirring from Slumber, uh, Nahiri is awakened from her hibernation about a thousand years ago by the Eldrazi pushing at their bonds, and there are... Little Eldrazi spawn on the plane. The Titans aren't quite free yet. And she finds vampires now exist on Zendikar. Where did those come from? They did, They weren't there before. Nahiri was awoken by all this. She defeats the vampires, stops them from whatever they were trying to do to awaken the Eldrazi. She fixes the prison uh, and then wonders, 
where where did Ugin and Sauron go? They did not show up. What happened? They were supposed to come when something like this happened, like an interplanar alarm bell would go off for them. Ima- imagine shouting for help and your two bestest buds leave you unread. Unread. <laughs> then in stone and blood, uh, we learn what happened. So Nahiri goes to find Soren, who was her mentor. Uh, and when she gets there, she discovers that Soren had been spending his time building uh, Innistrad's defenses and couldn't hear the alarm because of that. He's been building this nice moon silver thing, uh, kind of shoddy craftsmanship from Nahiri's point of view. God, but, I, you know. I loved that moment where she looked at the Hell Vault and was like, well, this looks to be some very elementary lithomancy. And like it's like a crayon drawing, comparatively, <laughs> which I think is great because we learn Ugin also picked up some lithomancy and is really good at it. <laughs> it's just, I just I just love that Soren, like Ugin and Soren, both picked up lithomancy from Nahiri, but Soren sucks at it. It's the funniest thing to me. He just his lithomancy is really just pulling a rock out of the moon. That that that's about all he can manage. Uh, but he also created the angel Avicen. And as she and as I'm sorry, when I say she, I mean as Nahiri and Soren begin to argue about how uh, she just kind of he just kind of left and uh, didn't come back to help. And he knew he would be out of contact while he was doing this. Avison gets involved and it escalates and then it escalates and Avison does what she was created and defends the plane or Soren at least. And seals Nahiri into the Hell Vault on Innistrad. Over the next millennia, uh, Nahiri, trapped in this lightless void with an ever-growing number of angels. Uh, I'm so- <coughs> sorry, with an ever-growing number of demons, uh, is just imprisoned and imagining her home of Zendikar down to every feature. Jay, I... I know you're the consulting lore master, but we de- do we need to go over the difference between angels and demons? I'm tired, okay? <laughs> that is super valid. <laughs> the, the, the point is, Nahiri is now bound to a plane and plots her revenge. This is an ongoing theme for Zendikar, by the way. Next, in Nissa's origin, we jump to the more recent past, maybe about 40, 45 years ago. Nissa is a young elf of the Draga, and she is uh, an animist, which is someone who can raise elementals, essentially. Uh, animists have long been taboo among the Draga. Uh, they believe that animists are the cause of like the royal and bad things. So uh, Nissa ends up leaving home and following a, uh, like a mana trail that's leading her towards Akum. Uh, but when she gets there, she glimpses something horrible under Akum, and what she thought was Zendikar pulling uh, pulling her somewhere, which it might have been. It it is. She follows an elemental. Uh, when she gets a glimpse of what's actually inside, when she looks at like using her animist vision, she's so horrified by what she finds that her spark ignites, and she winds up on Lorwyn. 
Yeah, she glimpses Emrakul, which is, uh... I Look, if you haven't read a lot of cosmic horror, glimpsing the inscrutable, uh, not good for the stability of brains of mortals, who are so tiny, like insects, as the ancient ones walk among them. And Zendikar's like, all like, hey, Nissa, you're an animist. Here's a problem. Help. That all takes place in Nissa's origin home. And then we jump to just a few years ago in in universe, where, let me explain a little backstory here. Around Alara and Zendikar and Scars of Mirrodin, there were web comics, really good ones, like professional comic looking comics uh, that would be regularly posted to the web. Part of the plot of those is Jace and Chandra. Uh, dueling over a scroll that Chandra stole. This is kind of the founding element because we learned that that is the dragon scroll and it points them both to Zendikar. Uh, At Journey to the Eye, we see Chandra uh, enlist a variety of guides to try and get her to the Eye of Ugin. Most importantly, she punches Anawan right in the nose. He's a a vampire... Um, historian who collects a bunch he's of... He's a ruin sage. Yeah. Yeah. He's just a nerd. He's a big He's a big old nerd and he tries to drink Chandra's blood and so she punches him in the face and it's I think my favorite panel in every, it, of all the webcomics that were published in that era, that panel of Chandra's fish just going thwack right into Anawan's nose is my favorite. She is one juice box you do not want to mess with. Uh, she ends up meeting Sarkhan Vol, who has gone a little mad because his master, Nicobolus, had sent him to the Eye to await uh, planeswalkers showing up. Now, uh, the exact reasoning for this was... <laughs> I, I want to say revealed. I'm using quotation fingers when I say revealed. Revealed ten years later. The reality stop is... stop doing stuff with your hands on a podcast, man. I know you're... I know... I know we're Italian. I'm Italian. But I, I know. I know. So the, the reasoning that we got eventually behind all this was that uh, Bolas was just kind of playing the odds. There were several potential planeswalkers he thought would show up. And he wanted to see what would happen if they destabilized the Eye of Ugin. So... Not long after Chandra is there, um, Jace follows, uh, and he arrives, and there's a big duel in the Eye of Ugin that ends up loosing the Eldrazi prison, because the magic of three planeswalkers, one of which is kind of a dragon, kind of sets the thing off. Uh, Yeah, so the dragon scroll uh teaches how to cast ghost fire which is ugin's magic so chandra can cast ghost fire and it also contains a map to zendikar to the eye of ugin which jace has and jace cannot ignore a mystery so mm-hmm. uh they at sarkin turns into a dragon ghost fire is cast there are three planeswalker sparks these are all the triggers to open the the hedron network and all that happens in the comics, Awakenings, and Enter the Eldrazi. And after all this happens, they all kind of bounce. Jace goes back to Seagate to the lighthouse and lets them know what's happening, but they all leave. Yeah, S- Sarkin starts getting tormented by this mysterious voice in his head that claims to be the spirit dragon named Ugin. I wonder what that's about. 
Weird. So then we have Zendikar in the teeth of Akum. So after all this has happened, uh, and the Eldrazi are released, uh, Soren finally gets the alarm this time around. And because he's, you know, imprisoned Zendikar's protector, he shows up this time. And there, he enlists the aid of one Nyssa Ravain. They also enlist the help of Anawan, who has been enslaved by an Eldrazi spawn uh, that they free him from. And together, they all journey to the Eye of Akum. A lot of stuff happens along the way. It's not particularly interesting. You can read it if you want to. I wouldn't say it's out and out bad like some other fiction, but it's just not... It does not have a good reputation. It's it's an A to B story. That's all you really need to know about it. So, I mean, the whole the whole plot can be summed up in like a sentence or two. Uh, no, it's the whole plot is literally summed up in one sentence in the next bullet point on our agenda. <laughs> so Nissa is with the Tajuru elves in the Turn Timber and encounters the Eldrazi. Uh, she rescues Anawan from the Eldrazi and together with Soren, who's arrived, and a group of n- nobodies who keep disappearing uh, because Soren and uh, Anawan are drinking their blood. Um, although Nissa doesn't realize Soren is a vampire for a painfully long time because he's he's different from the vampires of the plane. So I'll give him that. Uh, they eventually arrive in Akum and they get to the Eye of Ugin. And Soren is ready to reseal the Eldrazi, but Nyssa has decided that she just wants the Eldrazi off her plane. And if she destroys their prison, they should just leave, right? Right? It, it, it doesn't work out that way. Do we want to insert a clip of uh, Harrison Ford going, get off my plane from Air Force One? <laughs> yes, yes, please. Cool. I, 100%, cool. 100%. That'll happen right now. Get off my plane. Nyssa destroys the keystone, the keyhedron of the Eye of Ugin, and the Titans are loosed from their prison. Oh, that's fine. They're not that big, right? And that, that, that they're, they're kind of big. They're kind of big. I mean, like... Okay, so she glimpsed Emrakul once while she was imprisoned and it broke her brain. What could, like, Emrakul manifesting on the plane actually do, right? Annihilator 6 isn't that bad. <laughs> so, uh, Gideon, hot on the heels of the novel The Puri- Purifying Fire, uh, tracks Chandra to, uh, to Zendikar, and in the Battle of Fort Kef, he gets a uh, up-close-and-personal, not really up-close, but he gets an up-close-and-personal view of the Eldrazi and uh, the Titan Emrakul, uh, in the far distance so he helps the people from this little fort escape and he leaves but he ends up spending the rest of the time we'll talk about here uh splitting his time between uh ravnica and zendikar so about five years after real world years after uh this plot in 2014 Nissa gets a new card, Nissa world waker which is in the real world where her whole animist side uh, instead of an elf tribal side, came to be. Nyssa spends about a year or so wandering the plane, fighting alongside the elemental Ashaya, uh, which is the word, the Zendikari word for, like, the Awoken world, right? Something like that? 
Uh, uh, Shia is an elemental avatar of Zendikar's world soul. Um, in the story, and that's in the story Nissa World Waker. She she's presented as kind of xenophobic uh, in the in the teeth of Akum. World Waker is really where she starts to transition to a more heroic personality and a more open and outgoing personality and realizing, hey, these humans ain't so bad. She mostly just hates vampires for color pie reasons because green and black are enemy colors. Yeah, World, World, like, she spends most of her life alone on Zendikar and uh, World Waker is the story where she's like, hey, maybe, like, fighting alongside some allies eh, allies get it It might be good for her and might actually be uh a way to to win a war against the eldrazi because they they end up taking down like a massive eldrazi using teamwork and friendship Teamwork, yay friendship heart i mean this is when we fast forward to uh shortly after magic origins and there's a couple prequel stories that lead up to uh, the next is Zendikar block. And uh, one of them, called Drop for Drop, is uh, not on Zendikar. It's on Theros. And uh, Kiora is a merfolk planeswalker that we met in the Theros block and was there looking for sea monsters to bring back to Zendikar to fight the Eldrazi because she wants to defend her home. So she's on this world looking for Eryxmethes. The biggest, meanest, most terrifying kraken she has ever heard of. And then she finds him. And here's the problem, is uh, Theros is a world with, like, actual gods on it. And Thassa, the god of the sea, is like, hey, you, you've been impersonating one of my heralds, and I don't like that, so I'm gonna kill you. And hey, all my merfolk followers, come watch me kill this puny mortal who's deceived you. And so Thassa awakens Eryxmethes, Kiora summons her own Krakens, they have a big fight. Thassa uh, creates this, like, maelstrom that goes all the way to the ocean floor and pins Kiora to it with her bident. Look, I love Kiora, she's my favorite plane soccer, but there's just no way she's going to beat a god in battle. But Kiora has a lot of backup plans and thinks on her feet really well. I don't think she has any backup plans, she just thinks on her feet very well. <laughs> improvisations become backup plans in plan real time. Plan B is plan B, whether or not it was thought up uh, a month before or a second before. Exactly. Uh, so she grabs the Biden and says like, hey, I'll just take this. So she she absconds with Dekela, a magical weapon of untold oceanic might, and returns to Zendikar uh, with, with the intent to single-handedly literally turn the tide in the war against the Eldrazi. Yeah, we'll see how that works out in just a second. No, it just just like everything else in the story, everything goes fine. Everything turns out okay. Everything's been getting better as we've gone by. So a little bit more between Quill stuff. Uh, Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 happens. And as part of that, Obnixilis, uh, well, in order to stop a demonic Garrick, uh, the player character, that's you, you, listener, right now, you did this. But only if you played Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 campaign. Defeats, and again, I'm using quotation fingers because I'm an Italian-American, uh, defeats Obnixilis and removes the he- the binding hedron that uh, 
Nahiri had planted there. So, and then you you bounce, you abscond with it, and Obnixilus in a post-credits scene is revealed as having just what he wanted done and because he couldn't remove it himself so he put the word out to adventurers that you know he was he was here and there was there there was this binding device that might be used somewhere else uh and jace is there helping you jace is also there yes jace is as as one of our live listeners says i love how jace's role is just existing in the same space (laughs) jace is also there yes so Obnixilus gets his wings back, and that's how that's where we get that Obnixilus uh, unleashed. Obnixilus, what's the name of that card? I don't remember. It's in M fifteen. That's how we get uh, Obnixilus unshackled. So the other kind of between cool thing that happens is the original Innistrad. So it's revealed at the end of Tarkir block that Soren had known what had happened to Nahiri. Up until about 2014, we didn't know. And it's revealed as part of the Shadows over Innistrad block, what we talked about earlier about how he imprisoned her. So when Liliana destroys the Hell Vault in the original Innistrad story, guess who's freed besides Avacyn? Oh, Grizzlebrand. It's Nahiri. All right, it's Nahiri. Nahiri is freed, and she is pissed. So she heads back to uh, she she had heads back to Zendikar to find it under a full scale Eldrazi snack fest, a full scale Eldrazi brunch brunchening, uh, and she fairly rightly assumes that Sorin let her world go to hell. And she starts to, she, she writes Zendikar off, basically, and uh, boops over to Innistrad to exact her revenge on Soren. Her plan goes smashingly, if not for those meddling kids. Uh, and then Soren gets out of the rock later. That's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah, the, the big part of this plan is that she lures Emrakul away from Zendikar. So at this point, we know Ulamog is rampaging. Uh, nobody has seen Kozilek in months. And then... Uh, Emrakul is also not seen for months, but is also retreated from Zendikar. And that's the whole Shadows of Rinnistrad story happening. Uh, it, Nahiri's plan is kind of parallel to all this is happening. And then uh, at, at pretty much the same time the Tarkir block is happening and Sarkin goes on a timey-wimey adventure to revive Ugin because he was mostly dead for a very long time, and that's why he didn't respond to Nahiri's call. It's a whole thing. So, uh, at the end of this, uh, kind of, the events that happen immediately before Battle for Zendikar block, uh, we are left with uh, Ugin exists somewhere in the multiverse, Nahiri exists over on Innistrad, and we have a Gideon, Jorah, and Nissa Ravain fighting for their lives against the Eldrazi. And losing more and more every day. So that's when we pick up with limits. Uh, there were four stories uh, leading up to Battle for Zendikar. Uh, limits, Catching Up, Offers to the Fire, and For Zendikar. They kind of frame the Battle for Zendikar story, but weren't traditionally part of the story. So in Limits, we see Gideon splitting his time between Zendikar and Ravnica. And... Uh, 
you know, it's obviously getting to him because he's assaulting legitimate business goblins on Ravnica. Um, and in, in well, self-defense... Are you, are you saying the Shattergang brothers are legitimate business goblins? No, no, I'm talking about Krenko. Oh, well, Krenko's a criminal. You admit it. You said so. I did not. There's no proof. We literally have a recording. It's on Spotify. There's, there's no proof. There's no proof. The Goblin Criminals are were all done by Karl Kapinski, including Krenko Mob Boss, which is one of my favorite cards of all time. Okay, so maybe I did say that, uh, but I was under duress, so it doesn't count. Anyway, uh, when uh, Krenko is able to shiv Gideon in self-defense um, for his unlawful arrest, Gideon quickly realizes he can't continue to split his time like this. Uh, the people of Zendikar are losing, and he's fighting Ravnikan street gangs and not getting any sleep. So a little story called Project Lightning Bug revealed to Gideon that Jace Balaran, uh, living guild pact of Ravnica, was a planeswalker. And so he goes and confronts Jace and try, uh, recruits him. And he's like, basically, <laughs> uh, this is kind of your fault, too. So I'm going to need you to leave with me and, and take care of this. Because uh, Liliana also wants his help, but won't actually get around to asking for his help. Because she's not great. Asking for help is a sign of weakness. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I, I'm proud of Jace. He starts taking responsibility for his mistakes. In Offers to the Fire, uh, Jason Gideon attempt to recruit Chandra from um, Jaya Ballard, or, again, Italian-American quotation fingers, uh, Mother Luti on uh, Ragatha, uh, but... Chandra says no. She's got new responsibilities. She got responsibilities. She can't just up and leave, which is a new thing for her, uh, but also the wrong thing at the time. But, you know, it is what it is. And then in For Zendikar, um, we get uh, Nyssa becoming entangled with the Zendikar allies in a more formal way, whereas before she was just kind of a avenging hero in the wilds. And that's what brings us to the Battle for Zendikar story. So... Battle for Zendikar, it's all online. Um, there are actually story summaries online you can read as well. But here's here's the Cliff Notes version. The Zendikari Alliance gets run out of Seagate. Uh, they end up uh, taking refuge on a floating island ab- above uh, Tazim, the continent where Seagate was. It's this big uh, dam that keeps the sea from the giant inland Halimar Sea. I'm sorry, the ocean from the giant inland Halimar Sea. Uh, if you want to learn about the locations on Zendikar, we did a whole world-building episode of, uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you can just listen to that. They get a clue from uh, a merfolk named Jorien that the Hedrons might be the key to defeating the Eldrazi. So Jace heads to Akum, where he meets Ugin, who tells him, Don't try and kill the Eldrazi. Y'all can't, you children can't handle that. But you can use the hedrons to try and imprison them again or bind them again uh kiora is also there and wants to single-handedly defeat the eldrazi and isn't a big fan of the rest of this group gideon ends up uniting a lot of the uh, allies when the allies leader dies tazri is passed over and gideon is given command we can talk about tazri more uh in the future i don't think we need to get into her story right now Tazri gets big grumps about it. 
She was already kind of a grumps, and that's probably because when you're under an angelic curse... She wasn't already kind of grumps, she was already depressed. That's different. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, touche. Um, so anyway, they all work together, and through the power of teamwork and friendship, uh, they pull together this aligned Hedron network, uh, kind of jerry-rigged out of Hedrons, in order to imprison Ulamog, who'd been bearing down on Seagate. Parallel to that effort, uh, Nissa tries to, she, well, she loses her connection to the world soul. And she's like, hey, this is not good. I need to go check this out. So she has a little side quest moment where she goes back to uh, her home continent, Balagad, to a location called the Colney Heart, which is kind of this uh, locus of ley lines and um, a, a, a very spiritual place with a gigantic flower in it. Because it turns out, Obnixilis, that uh, vengeful demon from early in the episode, is trying to siphon Zandakar's energy to reignite his spark. So she and Abdul, and she repels him, and is able to repair the Colney Heart and reconnect with Ashaya. She travels back to Seagate, and uh, little does she know that a hulking, flapping, angry demon man follows so ob shows up to wreck their stuff right as uh they're imprisoning ulamog and he jumps in the middle of all the energies uh that were being aligned to activate the prison and absorbs all of them and reignites his spark so he becomes a planeswalker again and then the first thing he says is uh f your plane and he he summons Kozilek. Summons in the uh, very loose definition of the term. He basically says, hey, come on up here. Yeah, so, uh, you know, hey, we haven't seen Kozilek in a while. Turns out Kozilek was underground being like a little worm, just eating dirt and stuff. And, uh, yeah, Seagate kind of gets smushed. And uh, Kiora is like, hell, oh, don't worry. I got this big octopus Lorthos. I can take down Kozilek. And then Kozilek kills Lorthos in one swipe of a weird non-space blade thing sticking out of his elbow. and uh, With his scyther arms. And then Ab is like, hey, Gideon, I have your favorite drink right here. And Gideon is like, <laughs> oh, Therosian wine? And Ab is like, no, three inches of dirty water, you punk. And uh, beats the hell out of him and Jace and Nyssa and is torturing them in a cave. And uh, it's at this moment where a reckless little bean named Chandra Nalar says, Oh, wait a sec. I hate being in charge and having to follow rules and having authority and doing things in an organized fashion. Peace! And she shows up on Zendikar, fights Ab, and frees her friends. And they are able to take down Ab. And he's like, you know, my plan would have succeeded if it wasn't for you meddling kids. Uh, and then uh, he planeswalks away, vowing revenge. Scheming schemes, uh, as is appropriate for the theme of this episode. You know, I like the Gatewatch as like a Scooby-Doo metaphor way more than any of the like derisive uh, Justice League nicknames. But anyway, basically, Chandra showed up just in time uh, to witness all that junk go down. She saves the rest of the Gatewatch. They all walk outside and they're like, man, we kind of messed up, didn't we? It would be nice if planes had like 
protectors or some some stuff like that someone who could find justice or maybe avenge them and they all took oaths uh, and became the Gatewatch. And so because their original plan went awry, uh, they decide to disregard Ugin's wishes uh, and use uh, the ley lines to draw the Eldrazi fully into the plane so that they can destroy them. And working together, and also Gideon, they <laughs> <laughs> it's I, if if you look at the fall of the titans and the other art that's paired with it it's great because like jace is connecting all their minds uh nissa is channeling the ley lines of the plane through all of them they've really got they've got a, like a literal channel fireball combo going on with um with chandra casting this massive fire spell and gideon's also there like waving his sorrel going i'm helping no, he so he he is keeping the Eldrazi drones and stuff from killing everybody. Kira is also here and has a moment where she's like, "Hey, well, I'm gonna lift up the entire Halamar Sea and crash it down on the Eldrazi, and so they go away and leave the plane." And the Gatewatch is like, "No, you crazy bitch! We're trying to kill them." They go against Dugan's wishes and essentially burn the Eldrazi to to cinders, leaving behind like just bones. Um. Ugin shows up and he is very pissed with them. Uh, and the rest of them tell him, well, what do you want us to do? You're, you're, <laughs> were we supposed to just let the world die? And Ugin's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so the, I mean, the Gatewatch, I mean, the humans are going to live maybe a hundred years if they're lucky. Nissa for a couple hundred. That's drops in uh, the multiversal bucket. I mean, Planes are born and die all the time. They had no right to destroy something they didn't even understand that not even Ugin understands. That who they don't even know what the consequences of their actions are gonna be. I'm I mean, I'm with Ugin here. They messed up. So ends Eldritch Moon and the Eldritch Moon. <laughs> so ends Oath of the Gatewatch. Oh, there we go. In the card Zendikar Resurgent, we see that uh, all this heavy mana channeling has already started some regrowth in the wastes. Uh, and that's where we leave Zendikar. We haven't seen the plane since. Technically, there's a, in the Dominaria story, Nissa leaves the Gatewatch and goes back to Zendikar. And at some point, when recruiting people for War of the Spark, Jace visits her and she doesn't come with him, but then she does show up. And then she goes back, and then uh, that's kind of where it's been seen since. It's not a whole lot, but uh, now we're heading into Zendikar Rising. And, uh, you know, they've announced the Planeswalkers for this set, which are Jace... Uh, I almost said Chandra. That is not correct. <laughs> Jace, Nissa, and um, Nahiri. What What is going to happen? Well, can't say, but... We can't say. <laughs> I would like to concur with that statement. And let's move on to final thoughts. So my final thought is uh, rest in peace, Brian's audio. Uh, Brian was hilarious this episode. He was wonderful. And 45 minutes into recording, everything crashed and he lost all his audio. I don't want people to get the wrong idea brian is hilarious and wonderful in every episode brian we love you 
R.I.P. your audio, though. It's, <laughs> it's uh, the Gideon track. <laughs> All right, Lorelai, go ahead. Uh, my final thought is very brief this week. It's just a reminder that trans teens backward is sneet snart. Okay. And if you also want to support trans teens, or maybe just one trans adult, that's me, uh, and her friends, which is the rest of the crew, uh, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and help keep this show running. And everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are coming together and talking about which flavors of Mountain Dew Omneth is. Y'all on the Discord, I don't know why that was your discussion today, but I'm proud of you. It was weird. <laughs> I like it. Uh, we we are in, like, preview season again, which is, like, I think one of the most exciting times on our Discord because we get uh, all sorts of discussion about spec story speculation and, you know, what the cards might be, uh, ideas for new commander decks, all that fun stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we want as many listeners as we can to be part of that. So uh, Patreon is the place to go for that. We are also going to be shifting next month, and by next month, starting tomorrow, uh, our tiers. So uh, through August, we have had a $1, 3 and $5 tiers, with uh, you know $1 being the Discord community, $3 a month being a uh, bonus episode called Pulled from the Deep, and the $5 being the live listen tier, where you can, uh, on Thursday nights around 7, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, listen to us record the episode, chat with us before and after, hang out. You know, you get everything a couple days early. It's a fun time. Pull from the deep. We've kind of exhausted our concepts and ideas and our resources for it. So we're going to be discontinuing that tier starting in... Did I say July earlier? I meant September. I don't... Time's not real anymore. So starting in September, we are going down to two tiers. Uh, a $1 Discord tier and a $3 Live Listen tier. So uh, everyone who's been supporting and listening to Pool from the Deep, thanks. It was a cool feature that we had going for two years, uh, which I look back and I don't know how we did that, but we did. And uh, so we are going to be retiring that uh, today, assuming you're listening to this episode on the day it comes out is the 31st. This is also be uh, at some point today uh the last uh pull from the deep will be out so uh yeah starting september we're gonna we're gonna shift tiers around so hopefully more folks will be able to get into the live listen stuff uh because those are a whole lot of fun we we love having people here uh uh sometimes uh feeding us information uh on on their own because we've got a bunch of smart cookies in our discord server and uh, we forget things occasionally, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's it, it's a good time for everybody. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has supported us, because we are over two years of Patreon now, and that's weird. It's awesome. Surreal. I don't know where, I don't I don't know where time goes. Is the weird part. It's just I'm confronted with the reality of existence and mortality, and that's what Patreon has done to my brain. Okay, it's. It's frightening. I, I know time, personally, time goes from my youth out of my soul into my son and his <laughs> youth. <laughs> well, I don't have that problem. I, yeah, fair. 
my my problem is I'm going through puberty again, so I'm a 30 year old teenager and it's weird. But uh, no, uh, so yeah, Patreon, do Patreon stuff, Patreon. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.